You know what? You are the only person you are guaranteed to spend the rest of your life with. So, we want you to feel at home with yourself. To have an understanding of what being human truly means. And to be a witness to the things that are happening within you. We're here for the good. The bad. And the downright ugly. <laughs> so, come on this journey. And be messy with us. You are listening to The Real Meaning of Humanity with Alexis. That's my name. And you're Krista. Yeah, that's me. Hey guys, we're here for the second episode of the Feminine Series, and we are so excited for the guest that we have on. (laughs) (laughs) The reason why we chose this guest is she is so wonderful at just speaking and empowering women. She gives women a voice, and then she also gives us, you know, a lot of self-awareness and how we can, you know, use our voice and also self-awareness for all humanity, both men and women. And we're so honored to have the wonderful, intelligent, genuine spirit, Tiffany Bloom. (laughs) (laughs) We're so excited to have you. Um, And I don't know if like Tiffany Bloom has a book out. It's called Pray Tell, Why We Silence Women Who Tell the Truth and How Everyone Can Speak Up. So we will be going into, you know, about that in this episode, but Tiffany, I would love for you to just, you know, share a little bit about your heart and what you do. Yes. Well, I am a podcaster as well. I have a podcast I co-host called why though answering the existential questions we ask ourselves, Mm -hmm. but the majority of my public work and ministry is at the intersection of justice, faith, and women. I am passionate about empowering women to be seen as equals in both sacred and secular spaces. I Mm -hmm. am married to an awesome man. I have two boys, 11 and seven. So we're we're, I'm four months away from a middle schooler. So if the Lord wants to come back, I am totally ready. <laughs> um, and I have written um, about five books, uh, three books, three in two Bible studies, all addressing kind of a woman's space in life and how we can all encourage women to live dignified and full lives in the Lord. Mm, that's so good. That just inspires me as she's uh, yeah. talking. <laughs> I was like, yes. Um, so what, like, what was it that, you know, got you into that calling? I just wanted to ask that real quick. Like, have you always felt that way about women? Have you always had that in your heart? Oh, what a good question. I would say I knew I had the gift of communication really young. I was in high school. I was doing communication competitions nationwide. Like I knew I had the gift to communicate and I believe that words spark worlds and they create worlds, whether it's spoken or written. So from the page of the stage, I'm passionate about communicating for impact and change. As far as serving women, I would say in my early twenties, I had a very like holy sacred take off your sandals moment. And it sounds so cheesy, but I had just started an outreach ministry, uh, serving women in jail and getting them matched with a mentor when they were released. And I was like early twenties, you guys, like I had no business doing this stuff. And, um, they're matched up with therapists and, and getting them in job retraining and housing. And I just had such a go-getter spirit to get people both the spiritual needs they had met, but also practical as well. And I, um, I was just having some time to myself and thinking and meditating and praying. And I just felt like this was my giant to slay was just how we view women, how we treat women and how often scripture has been co-opted by culture to demean women. And it has been uh, my work for the past 15 years to address that. Right. Well, I think that's amazing. And I like how you said, like our words can be in fact, 
impactful, like how we communicate, because it even says that in our, our, in the Bible, that our words hold so much weight and power in our tongue Mm -hmm. and whether we use it through like, even, um, there's a song, there's a worship song out, like breathe, like the way we Mm. use our breath, the way we use our tongue, the way we speak to people either negatively or positively, or even over our bodies, which we will get into that in the feminine series, like how we speak over our bodies and our calling our hearts, it matters. And what we say matters. And I think that's what started us, you know, how we wanted to do this podcast because we've learned so much, but we had so much to say because we knew what we what we had to say mattered. So in giving others a voice in their stories as well, that's just starting conversations that people don't typically have or are uncomfortable starting and giving them permission to continue those conversations and mull on these facts, because there's a lot of bad, (laughs) a lot of bad ideas (laughs) of what it means to be a a fully formed uh, woman follower of Jesus. So lots to do, lots to do. We got our work cut out for us. Exactly. Well, that gets us into, I wanted to um, give you room and space to like, cause I know like just the history of women from the beginning of time from Eve, which we just talked about that in our first episode, but like, even like through generationally what women have been through and like how men even thought us, you were saying this earlier. (laughs) Yeah. How they, how they take like the story of Eve and they're like, well, you guys are the reason why, you know, why (laughs) the fall of man happened was because of women. And you're just like, oh my goodness, that's not yeah. entirely true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when you look back at the first century, so we, we could start um, solidly in the New Testament and I can give some scope to the Old Testament, just mm-hmm. as you pointed to Eve and we could look at Bathsheba and, and, and Tamar. And there's so many great examples we can look at of where redemption was needed. It pointed for the need of redemption. It, the, the reason we know these stories and that they're part of the canon is not that we can see the end point and say, it's all a woman's fault. It's actually to point to say that they were mistreated and and we need a savior and the savior was on his way. Mm -hmm. So now we find ourselves in the new Testament at the beginning of the church. And in the first century, it is evident in scripture that Jesus empowered women as equals. He was so progressive ahead of his time. It's not even funny. Mm -hmm. Women had the same rights as a slave and, and even if they were married to a man of means. And yet we see Jesus encouraging women to be disciples and mm-hmm. church leaders. They were, it didn't matter if they were married or not. It didn't matter their pastor or not. We see women on the forefront making changes and doing the dang thing. Now, interestingly, and in the first culture in the early church fathers, they looked at culture and the geopolitical interests of the day. And they allowed those beliefs and that line of thinking to dictate the early church rather than the early church dictating Mm -hmm. culture. So what you had is this early church, it has quite literally been baked of the bread of of all of church history to believe that a woman is second. Tertullian, an early church father, is is my personal favorite. He said that a a woman is the devil's gateway. A woman Uh, is the devil's gateway. mm -hmm. You know, so there's belief upon belief upon belief that has created and concocted this, this idea that women are the reason for a downfall, just as you said earlier, that they are inherently uh, sinful, inherently right. sinful, and to be with them, to lay with them. I believe it was Augustine uh, who castrated himself because he didn't want to be with a woman. He believed that that would oh separate gosh. him from the spirit of God. So there is... <laughs> It's very problematic to at the earliest days of the church to find and shape women as the reason for the downfall. We had to put the blame on somebody. So let's put it on the weaker vessel. 
Right. Yeah. Well, and even we're seen as like, we're incapable of telling the truth. Like we are liars. Mm, yeah. Let's talk we're, about that. Yeah. We were liars. We were manipulators. It was seen as we used our bodies to get to, for the benefit of men to get what we wanted or yeah. I say like yeah. my favorite is like women are the temptress. Like they are the yeah. one who are the temptations. But we like, see that yeah. even now in movies mm-hmm. and like, yeah. that is like, like placed out in our culture, in our movies, TV shows, like all that stuff. You know, interestingly, it was also written into law. Josephus, Mm -hmm. he was a historian of the first century. And it quite literally says that a woman would never be able to tell the truth. She would only speak for gain or to punish another or for fear of her own punishment. And so quite literally that women aren't capable of telling the truth was written into law. And even as late as the last 30 years, we see that women are accused. Oh, what were you wearing? What did you Mm -hmm. say? How much were you drinking? The same idea holds is that you're not capable of handling yourself. You're not capable of keeping yourself safe. And if something bad happened, you must've done something to deserve it. Mm -hmm. So not only in the law, but in Christian culture, especially we have groomed women to believe that if something's gone wrong, it's their fault. It's called the just world hypothesis. Because if something happened to her that wasn't her fault, it could happen to us too. And we cannot wrap our minds around the idea that something bad could happen to us because it wrecks our whole understanding of what is or is not appropriate in our world. And we've all have this mental furniture in our mind of how we believe the world works. And we would rather blame it again on one person rather than have to address all the mental furniture that we've created, especially if the person who took advantage of a woman and abused his power is somebody we respect, right. we trust, um, whether it's a politician, a president, a pastor, fill in the blank. We don't want to believe that good men are capable of bad things. Exactly. And well, that starts with like this. I mean, this goes around in business world, churches, um, education, you know, politics. Yeah. Yes. It literally in, in every group. <laughs> yes. And like, we don't want to admit where we're wrong or own up to where we didn't see something or we could have stopped something. And usually that, and you've talked about this in your book, like you've talked about, you know, enablers. And I know I've had, and oh my gosh, like when I was reading this in your book, I almost started crying. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, I've, I know that I've been that though, because that's what was groomed in me culturally, mm-hmm. but even getting up as an adult and a young adult and figuring out my place in this world as a woman. And then my place in this world in the church that I was a part of. And you know, what happened to me, the abuse that happened, the relationship that I was in, and then the, the authority that was over me, Mm. they more enabled his destructive behavior rather than supporting me because I was the woman and I made the mistake to get involved with him, but everything that came with it, what he did, it was just a blind eye. Wow. And it was just so, yeah, it was, it was very heartbreaking, but it was more of like, well, I've been here for so long and how like, you know, me. So it it felt like they were just enabling that behavior because, and I don't, I don't want to even say that too, but I like, but because he was a man and like, I want to give respect to 
men as well, but this has happened. This is happening in our world. And us as women, we need to, you know, say this, we need Mm -hmm. to, you know, address all this stuff that is going on to women. And don't worry, guys, we're going to have a masculine series. So y'all have your time, but (laughs) this, this episode, like, I really want to address that because that is so damaging and destructive to how we're enabling these behaviors. Yeah. We take this uh, frat culture, if you will. And we, we really doll it up for the church, but we see there isn't a middle school girl who hasn't been harassed. In fact, it's a, it's a point young boys will make to prove that they're a man to demean a woman in front of other men to be seen as valuable, to be seen as valuable to their peers, to their male peers, but also to their female peers. And then you move that through high school and you move that into fraternity culture. And then you move that into adult life. And then of course, when you put the holy water on it, then it gets really dangerous because we have decided that this is how the world works. Women are to be taken advantage of. There will be no consequences. And we take, we take scripture out of context when we say, oh, well, she shouldn't have dressed like that. Or she attracted this or, you know, Mm kind of what you hinted at of like, oh, you shouldn't have gotten involved with them. This is your fault. When in reality, Mm -hmm. we're each responsible for our own thoughts and feelings and actions. And we have not learned to weigh that evenly. And we continue to punish women and even, um, I have a feeling both of us grew up in the height of the purity culture movement. Oh my gosh, and yes. I gleaned a lot from that truly like yep. <laughs> so much good came from that. So I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not somebody right. to throw it all under the bus. I'm really not. However, mm. however, <laughs> the response to the sexual revolution of the seventies and eighties was the purity culture in the early nineties started in the Southern Baptist convention. And it was this goal to swing the pendulum back the other way with abstinence, education, And this idea that women need to control the thoughts, ideas, and actions of men. And what it did was create a lot of shame and guilt on women and girls. We're talking about 13-year-old girls sitting through this, believing that their white t-shirts and growing chest was the reason for somebody else's downfall. And that is that is abusive. That is spiritually abusive, like textbook abuse. And even more so, and this is um, research I featured in my book that I found particularly fascinating. Many women who grew up in the height of the purity culture movement, who were steeped in it, who had no other point of view, they often demonstrated the PTSD symptoms that women who had been sexually abused, even though they had no sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. This is a problem and this is not of God. Right. No, I've actually heard of that. Um, I have a a friend who is married, but she was in the height of that purity culture. And, you know, they, they waited, um, her and her husband, they waited till marriage. Um, but when that did get there, she couldn't be intimate with him. Like she That's felt a, like, yes, totally. Her, it's still dirty. Yeah. yeah she like, mm-hmm. this is dirty. This is wrong. Like my, her body would not was not convinced yeah. of that this was like holy. Yeah. And so it, it caused a lot of, you know, they, they went to counseling and stuff and they, you know, fortunately have gotten healed from it. Thank God. But like, it, it was a struggle for her and she felt mm-hmm. so bad, like a bad girl. Yes, and that's what totally. we put our, and I remember like, you know, like I hit, <laughs> I hit, um, my body grew early on. Okay. In junior high. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my body was forming, um, and I do have a bigger chest and, but I was seen as like, you know, the slut because I wore Mm -hmm. like not a, yeah, up to here. Yes. And like, Krista would see this all the time. Like, 
oh alexis is wearing they would even come to you like right in high school and church oh yeah whenever you would oh, wear anything man. anything that you could see just a little bit they'd be like alexis is like wearing very provocative prerog- prerog- what is that word provocative <laughs> thank you <laughs> provocative things mm-hmm. and you're like no it's just because her chest is a little bigger so things fit her yeah. a little differently yeah, yeah. And, and that's when I started wearing like two sizes too big for me yeah. like I would wear like extra large when I was like a medium or a small yeah. because oh, I just did not want yes. anyone seeing my body and mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember I got oh, in trouble for just I know I got in trouble with a, a hole in the back from a shirt and like I had to go to the principal's office yeah and for, in high school and they're like well, you're just showing too much skin for the, like the little, you know, hole of the button and the hole of the button. Yes. And so in the back of the shirt. And so and one of the guys, one of my friends, they're like, do you not know who this is? Cause I was known as the Jesus freak in high school. I would never. Mm. And so they're like, Alexis would never do that. But like to the principal, the man and the vice principal, who was a woman, like she was like, no, 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 you're leading guys. Like you don't know what they're thinking when they see that. Yeah. But oh, also, my goodness. I say, but also like, I remember we, we would go to church camps a lot whenever we were growing mm-hmm. up. And my favorite part always was, um, they would put on like a fashion show for us and no, stop. They would, (laughs) they would show appropriate. what's appropriate for women to wear and what is inappropriate at camp. camp. And I guarantee you, they would have maybe one outfit for guys that was inappropriate, but there were like 10, 15 outfits that were like shame. If you wear this to camp, you're going to be kicked out if you wear this to camp, because you don't want to let your fellow brothers in Christ fall into lust or whatever. (laughs) Now, I do believe that there's a place for appropriate dressing more out of Mm -hmm. a sense of I respect myself. Therefore, I am going to dress respectfully. But the idea that someone is going to lose their salvation because of us, that's terrifying. Like we've got to be able to not be like, of course, I'm not going to run around naked or like showing right. off my stuff. Like, come on, you know, like I'm mature enough to see that there's value in self-respect and how I present myself to the world. And I think that if we could just give women and girls, like, how do you want to present yourself to the world? What, what do you want to, what, what, what does your best foot forward look like? I think we have to change that narrative because all it's been for the past 25 years is shame. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I just feel like women shouldn't be burdened with the responsibility uh, to control them behavior of men, yeah, you know, by dressing a certain way or acting a certain way. I feel like we can all like, I'm big on this, like all taking ownership in our own actions. But I I remember, I remember we used to joke about it, like the girls in high school too, because I know that like, it was like, we weren't allowed to wear like spaghetti straps, but we could wear it if it was like three fingers. fingers? And I was like, I have not thought of that, (laughs) but you're just like, what is that little bit of space? Like, what is really the difference? Like, Mm -hmm. is my shoulder going to cause him to just go crazy or what? You know, like, apparently, (laughs) but even in different, right. (laughs) And, but then even in different um, races, like our cultures, I know in the middle East, I've heard of when a woman like accidentally, cause they're all like covered. Yeah. Mm Yeah. They're covered. And so I I remember I heard a story where a woman accidentally because she was carrying a lot of things and she accidentally her veil dropped and she was, you know, the leader of over there, you know, saw it and he just 
priests poured acid on her because her veil dropped and she showed her skin of her face. Speaking to that, now that's where I think it gets really fascinating Mm -hmm. and where the story changes because purity culture and rape culture are very tied. They're defined in a lot of the same ways. And it really is all about control, which is what you just shared in that story. This becomes a way to control women. And that's, and I'm not trying to sound like, oh, this is all about control. But when you actually pull it apart, you ask yourself, what's behind this? When you think about the first century, when you think about um, everything we talked about, the purity movement, even, you know, the time of the printing press, th- this was all oral uh, sharing from the pulpit on a Sunday or wherever people had gathered for their faith community. But of course, after the time of the printing press, these ideas were now fed to women at home and mm and made even greater isolation and it really, really did some damage. And then of course, here we are in this modern day and we have stories like this, all the thread points to control. Like how can we control another? And even when you look at um, Old Testament stories, you look at David and Bathsheba, you look at um, Hagar, you look at Tamar, David's own daughter who was sexually assaulted by his son um, Hagar, who was an Egyptian slave girl who had to serve as a surrogate to Abraham and Sarah. You know, we often see Sarah as a matriarch of that story, but who bore the child first? It was it was Hagar. And all of those stories and the ones we're sharing now, even about, you know, three finger tank top, it is about control. And, and when we look at scripture, we don't see a Jesus who controls. We see a Jesus who liberates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, okay, leading into scripture, I want to get into some scripture. So I saw this and I'm in a journey right now where I'm in a journey with God of like, okay, God, I really want to see the beauty in the Bible again, because the Bible, like how I used to see it is like people would use scripture against me or like, it just seemed the Bible is like the biggest soap opera you will ever <laughs> no, like that's what I say, but I it's did pretty juicy, right? Exactly. <laughs> but I did see these scriptures and I wanted to address it because in the midst of me seeing the beauty in the Bible again, I saw this. I'm like, I cannot believe this is in here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to read out a couple of scriptures and Tiffany, I would love for you to speak on them. Um, so in first Timothy two, nine through 15, It says, I also want the woman to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived and became a sinner, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. So that was, yeah, that was Paul writing this to Timothy. Um, in first Corinthians 14, 34 through 35, Paul also writing this woman should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So interestingly about these passages, Mm -hmm. everything that was written in a letter was written for a particular purpose and a particular context to a particular people. Right. So we are reading with a struggle of that church. We're reading with a struggle. There must have been something going on with some women there 
where it was about the exterior and not the interior. There was issues there. Maybe there was women speaking out and interrupting. We don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that second half of first Timothy two, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet for Adam was formed first than Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived and became a sinner, which Obviously, we are, again, taking that geopolitical, cultural time that Paul grew up in, and we are placing it in his words and his thoughts. He has a point of view and family of origin and experiences and faith experiences Mm -hmm. and experiences women just like we do today. And so from his point of view, this is what he is sharing to to these people for this time. This isn't for all time. It's for Mm -hmm. this time. Mm -hmm. So I think we'd be wise to remember that there's a certain thing happening in this church that that would be, that would be addressed to. And then that second one, first Corinthians 14, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Now, what's interesting to, to me that I like to think about, and I'm uh, my friend, um, Sharon Hattie Miller, she kind of points to this, um, how we can look at a passage and not apply it to all scripture, but we look at all the passages Mm -hmm. and then be able to apply it to all scripture. So when we see this, we also know that there were women who were leading their own churches. There was Junia and there was Priscilla and there's so many more, Aphibi, you know, there's so many women who were, were in leadership and were regularly preaching, teaching and pastoring. So if we know that, and it would have been in the same time, we can see that he is pointing this at a particular time in a particular space. And also he is encouraging women to have spiritual conversations with their husband, which we can, we can co-sign on that. That's encouraging. Mm -hmm. Um, One more thing I want to point out that I think we can't overlook when we see Mary and Martha and Jesus. So many of us grew up. We heard that story that uh, Mary and Martha, one was working in the kitchen. One was sitting at the feet of Jesus and which one, Uh, you know, one she was just too busy and she didn't realize Jesus was there and she needed to spend time with him. You want to know what that story is really about, but I didn't learn about until I was a grown woman (laughs) was about the fact that Martha was learning Mm. is that she Mm. was receiving a education by a rabbi that only men would formally learn from a rabbi at that time. And here she is, she's basically attending seminary, if you will. She is willing to sit because it will be useful in her life and in her ministry. So it was actually about women elevated to places where they could learn and have advanced opportunity. Mm. That's what that passage was about. (laughs) And you're just like, wait, I was told I shouldn't be too busy in the kitchen. You know, Uh like, no, the point was that women should have continued education and opportunity in the same places as men. Yeah, That's what it was about. (laughs) But we turned it into this like, magnolia home joanna Gaines story and you're like that's not what i was supposed to get from that like wait what uh so i so even just looking at that the way that he would educate and empower a woman to have the knowledge that men at the time had to teach and preach i think is something to note um and again a woman should learn in quietness and full submission i do not put a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man she must be quiet What's interesting is Paul would be seen as very anti-women in a lot of passages, Mm. but when you look at his whole life, he regularly empowered women. He regularly made space for women. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we know that this is for a particular church at a particular time where this would have been helpful. But you do see that pagan culture, if you were, where women were second seeping in to the second half of that verse. So Mm -hmm. again, it's all in context and we can't read it without context. It's impossible to read and understand the scriptures 
without context. And and I feel like that's exactly what a lot of people do is they'll take, you know, a certain uh, scriptures and they'll take it completely out of context and then 100%. make it fit whatever their kind of prerogative is, whatever they're trying yes. to get to happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Or even like to weaponize us and silent us. Because I know when I, when I read that, I was like, there's no way. Cause I was watching an interview and I was like, like of men, like using this verse saying like, there shouldn't be women speakers, like well-known women that we look up to. And there shouldn't be women, you know, with authority or a title in the church. And I'm like, and they're using these scriptures to prove that. And I'm like, there's no way that God intended this scripture to be used in this way. Yes. And I was, and I was so mad and I was at war and I felt defeated. And I was like, no, like we have to address this because there's, because I don't see Paul. Like I didn't want to villainize Paul in that moment. Totally. So I'm like, there's, there has to be, you know, context. Cause Paul, like walked with Jesus. Like he knew mm -hmm. Jesus. Like this is not what Jesus did when he came down and put on human skin. Like he, yeah, we're talking women. about half the world for God's sake. Like, come on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like I know that Jesus in all the stories, which we're going to get into that, like, like Jesus came down to denounce that structure, that silence woman and to protect us and to protect our bodies and to give us that voice. I mean, yeah. one I love that you Sorry. One thing I wanted to say was like, I remember growing up, like always hearing that, like the woman is supposed to be submissive and all of those things. So in my head, I was like, oh no, I must do like whatever mm -hmm. the man says, or I can't ever speak up or can't ever say anything. If anything does happen to me, I mm -hmm. felt very much like if I did that, that I wasn't being the woman that like I was supposed to be. And I think that's the fall of man is yeah. wanting to order people. That's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. That's patriarchy is like, mm -hmm. I will order. Therefore it goes back to what we talked about empowering control. There is this desire to co-op scripture and co-op the work of Jesus and the, and the, and the new Testament works of Paul and say, this means that we can order women. This means that women need to not think for themselves, which is again, redonkulous. Yeah. and be able to not see them as equals. And you look at every nation in the world, in the developed world and the developing world, when women are in power as equals, not when the goal isn't that uh, matriarchy, that women are in control and men aren't mm -hmm. in control, that, that we're, we're just looking for equality. It's like a baseline operating barometer <laughs> that we're going for. And in reality, you see the GDP go up, you see safer cities designed, you see less people taking advantage of their power, you see less risky decisions, you see not only individual families, but communities better off and societies flourishing absolutely flourishing when women and we see that in scripture whether you're looking um at you know mary magdalene or whether you're looking at women only testament proverbs 31 women when women have agency and especially collective agency things get better mm -hmm. yeah exactly and like i did want to talk about like how tiffany like how have women been silent throughout history like what are ways that we have silenced women yeah, I'll, I'll just take the last hundred years. Um, that's specific <laughs> my area of research. <laughs> um, but when we look at World War II, we look at World War I, World War II, mm -hmm. all the men are off to war and there's about 6 million vacancies in the jobs in the United States. And you know who rises to the occasion? Rosie the Riveter posters everywhere. It's women, mm -hmm. 6 million women from all ethnicities totally were willing to be like you know what we're gonna we're gonna work as a community we're gonna gather people to help take care of the kids and we're gonna go to work and we're gonna do the dang thing right. and they did 
And here's where they got silenced. They endured outrageous sexual harassment. There was no um, unions yet. There was no way for them to, you know, start a coalition or anything like that for them to, you know, they were still still told to wear skirts to work, even they were doing manual labor and like making like military assault rifles for war, yet they were encouraged to wear skirts, like just silly stuff. Working like, you know, 10, 12 hour, 14, 15 hour days, crazy, crazy stuff. And of course, when the men come home from war, they want their jobs back. Mm-hmm. So now women are silenced in the workplace. Like you need to endure this or we will harm you in the pocketbook. We'll harm your body. We'll take advantage of you. We, we will make sure you don't win. But here's what's happened. Now these households are dependent on this income. And so women are silenced financially. They're silenced professionally. They're silenced from each other. If you share your experience, you'll lose your job. They're trapped. They're absolutely trapped. Um, a way that women have been silenced in the church for a very long time um, is forced forgiveness. You know, something Mm -hmm. happens to them. They're taken advantage of, uh, you know, they're again, groomed for purity culture, whatever the case may be. And they're taken advantage of by somebody with more power than them, whether it's a worship leader, whether it's an usher who's a volunteer or whether it's a pastor, they are, you know, sexually harassed. There's misconduct, there's harm, there's assault, whatever may happen, even just, lingering and making somebody feel uncomfortable we, it doesn't always have to be sexual it's about an imbalance of power whether that's physical size um class gender ethnicity uh you know the list goes on where women can be taken advantage of but there's this imbalance of power and then when they present these issues and this harm it's well then you should forgive yeah. if you want to be mm-hmm. made right you should forgive but but scripture is really clear that we don't offer forgiveness without repentance Right. Repentance. We are just forcing women into, and it's very harming because it's one thing to have the first punch of abusive power. And then it's another thing to not be valued in a process of healing for yourself. That is (laughs) that, that, that second punch hurts real, real, real bad. bad. And so we've really got to see how we have silenced women and that by forcing them to not only suffer alone for what's happened to them. And then, Mm. I mean, if you really want to go 2.0, We'll slap them with an NDA. They can't talk about their experiences to their spouse, mm-hmm. to their therapist, uh, to their to their closest friends, to their mom, you know? Yeah. And then of course we go so far as, you know, this forced forgiveness or you need to leave. Um, so those are just two ways that come to mind um, that we have really, really, really silenced women. And then lastly, I think, again, a more nuanced approach to this is just the intersectional nature. If, uh, if a white woman has encountered something and a black woman has encountered something mm-hmm. or a South Asian woman, our treatment will be different based on the color of our skin and based on our ethnicity. Yeah. And that is a problem. So yeah. we are seeing a higher rates of um, abuse of power against women of color, specifically the indigenous women, most of all 2.5 times more um, oppressed in public spaces than, than any other um, ethnic group. Yeah. And so not only is this a problem that women are facing, it's a problem that women of color and women of lower means and uh, women who are English as a second language, they yeah, are yeah. facing it in even greater ways. Yeah. And that just, honestly, that breaks my heart. Like, even as you were talking, like, I just felt so much, you know, like sadness because it, fe- it feels like, like it, the, the biggest part of healing is acknowledging what each and every person That's went right. through. Naming it, naming mm-hmm. it, naming calling it, it, it yeah, exactly. Like calling it out confronting what happened, like confront confrontation is not bad if we're using mm-hmm. it in a healthy way. Like Amen. You, it's not inherently uh, divisive. Yeah, exactly. But like in this culture now and in like the business world, church, you name it, um, 
it's like, oh, no, 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 we can't confront that. Just, you know, swipe it, swipe it under the rug. We're good. We're good. And I'm like, but Jesus, even when he came down here, there's so many examples where he called something out or he Mm -hmm. asked each and everybody for, you know, what happened, you know, like he confronted it in a loving, but correctional way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he, and he didn't let it go. Like people mm-hmm. had consequences. King David, after he took advantage of Bathsheba, his own son took his throne. He didn't have the same, um, quite literally square meters of area to mm-hmm. reign over as he did before. I mean, he lost up to almost like what a third to half of his kingdom. Like there were long-term consequences that we yeah. cannot ignore. And again, it goes back to the idea of just quick forgiveness and not naming it. And I just want to camp on naming it. Cause you really, you really hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, in the 1940s, very few women were speaking up um, against misconduct in public spaces, whether it be the church or their workplace or what have education, politics, what have you. Yeah. But then you move into the boomers who there's about 14% reporting when something would go wrong and they'd be able to name what happened to them. Mm. And then our generation here now, it's about a 90% reporting rate. And what has changed? Wow. It's common vernacular. Even the idea of like sexual misconduct didn't come in to mainstream language until the late 60s. Um, I believe it was 67, 68, 69. It really became more of just in the common language we understood that we can thank Supreme Court just late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg for that. Because without common language, we can't name what we've been through. Mm-hmm. Think about that. hundred years ago, there was no such thing as sexual misconduct, sexual harassment. That quote unquote didn't exist. Yeah, <laughs> it did. It just didn't have mm-hmm. a name. It, it didn't have a name. And so here we are in this modern day where we, when we give people language to describe their experiences, we give them our, their first steps toward a healing journey. Exactly. And that's the thing, like Jesus love does not remove the consequences of your Mm -mm. destructive actions. It just doesn't. And like that gives us examples. I want to touch on this because like, you know, Jesus did disrupt the judicial and civil and religious practices that treated women secondary to society. And then he did, you know, Jesus did call women to be equal to men and knew that a woman's voice holds a lot of weight. And I mean, you're even seeing it right now. Look at Tiffany, you know, rocking this, you know, (laughs) but like, you know, going back to the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, like John four, one through 42, it's like, you know, he, he came there and he, uh, he gave the Samaritan woman, like after all the healings before that, like, and people wanted to go and share what Jesus did. He was like, no, not yet. You keep this to yourself. But then Mm -hmm. once he came to the woman at the well with five husbands, or even the last husband wasn't even her own husband. He was Mm -hmm. like, but she felt so known and seen Mm, by him. Yes. Yes. Like she felt so like, wow, you see me not just for what I've done in society, quote unquote society and the culture, Mm -hmm. but you see my heart and why I've done the things I've done, but you're giving me a voice and a calling that I can, you know, you know, you know, like revive and, you know, be redeemed from it. And so like, you know, even there, like, and, and that, even at that time, Samaritans were not allowed to talk to Jews. That's right. Yeah. You know, and, and just men talking to women and talking to a rabbi, that would have been mm-hmm. no, no. And it's the longest recorded conversation with Jesus in human history. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is just so, so powerful to think about. Yeah. yeah. So even in that moment, like Jesus gave this woman a, a voice and chose her and to tell people, okay, you can go and tell 
who I am. So women recordedly were the first people to tell of humanity who Jesus is like God. Jesus gave her that authority to go tell of his who he is and in his miracles. Absolutely. And you think of Mary Magdalene, she, you know, oh, a woman's yes, a yes. testimony again, Josephus records did not hold any weight in a court of law. Yet the, the disciples came into the tomb and Jesus didn't reveal himself only after they left. Mm. Did he reveal himself to Mary Magdalene only after they left. So what we see is there was clear opportunity to tell the boys, but mm. he chose not to, he yeah. chose to put the entire message of humanity's <laughs> redemption on the shoulders of a woman. Oh my God. That's so beautiful. (laughs) And like, even like the bleeding woman, like, oh my God, I feel for this girl. Every time Mm. I I, like, I read this story, I was like, oh, I want to touch Jesus's robe. Like, just give me that quick healing. You know, like we all want that quick healing, but some of the best healings come through a journey. But anyways, that's another podcast for another time. That's a word girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But like, you know, the woman, you know, and you even like say this in your book, like she endured, she endured bleeding for 12 years and, you know, Jesus stopped the crowd. He interrupted everything that he made doing what was going on. And he stopped the crowd to acknowledge what she was going through to acknowledge her, to acknowledge her faith that in that one touch, she was healed. And he acknowledged her in that moment in front of all humanity. And he called her, her daughter, his daughter, you know, even in that moment in front of everybody, which is outrageously rare. He called, he uses it so few times and to think he saved it for her and something I I, I, forgive me. This is just a titch off off topic, but Mm -hmm. just not only the, the physical loss, And, you know, this woman's clearly anemic and she's tired and she's traveled all these miles by herself, but just the isolation and the Mm -hmm. belonging in that moment to call her daughter. I just, I, when I read that passage, I can just never get over the isolation. We're talking about, if this was a mom, she hasn't seen her kids in 12 years. She's been able to be, to parent her children in 12 years. Like Mm -hmm. that's crazy town just because she had a medical condition. And in fact, um, in previous work, I've done a, I've done a study on her and one of my Bible studies and the idea that some of the medical procedures of that day was like scare her from behind and scare her to health. Like they're just crazy things that she paid for. She went bankrupt trying to get healing so she could have the life she once had. She could have the family she once had. And in one moment, Jesus brings it all back. Oh my God. That's so amazing. And then I do want to talk about the woman who was caught in adultery. Like, cause there's a lot of women that for many, many reasons, you know, go through and like we talk about even today, like prostitution. And I know that if Jesus is here, he would be with those, those daughters and he would be calling Mm -hmm. them, them his. And it, it, it brings me back to my, like my favorite book, redeeming love too. And all that. I love that book. And I've even seen the movie if, and nobody's seen it, please go see it anyways. Um, but also the, the woman caught in adultery is John 7, 53, through chapter eight, 11, you know, like Jesus also protected, you know, women's bodies. It shows that he protected women's bodies and their reputations. And Jesus came in as they were, you know, throwing stones at her and, you know, belittling her, um, with their words. And he just disrupted that situation. Mm -hmm. And Jesus' first choice for that woman who was caught in, caught in adultery was to protect her in that moment. Mm-hmm. Not to ask her protect her physical body, isn't that? Mm-hmm. Just yeah, yeah, like not oh, to ask wow. her how did you get here? What did what you were you do? wearing? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like he chose to protect her. That was his first choice, mm-hmm. and he didn't mm-hmm. hesitate to do that. And he got down to the bottom of everything. Like he he even asked like each and every 
you know, did he asked each and every person, right? Like what happened? Stephanie? He said to them, he without sin cast the first stone. Right, yes, exactly. It. And so, you know, Jesus ensured her safety. Jesus spoke to her compassionately with love and understanding, you know, and Jesus was not another man who would just take advantage of her in that moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, so, um, Tiffany, like we've talked a lot about, you know, the history of women and, you know, what we've been through and, you know, just the isolation and how we've been belittled, but like, I know there's hope. Like I know change Mm -hmm. can happen. And even though this is still going on today, I know there are still good people out there. I know there's good men out there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Tiffany, I would just like to ask you some proactive ways of how humanity can, you know, become better and how we can create a change. Like, so like, I would, I just want to ask, like, how can we give a woman a voice? Yeah, I think there's more interior work, which I'll talk about. And then I'll talk about the exterior work and I'll make it so doable and palatable for all of us. Because just as you said, 90% of us aren't doing dumb crap like this. We are bystanders, but we're unfortunately enabling bystanders when Mm -hmm. we don't do anything. But that also starts with some interior examination. So I think forgive the alliteration, but we have got to lament. We've got to lament where we've gotten it wrong, where we've questioned women. When we've seen something on the news, like, oh, well, what did she do? Mm-hmm. We have to lament where we've gotten it wrong as a church, yeah. as a community, and as an individual. I think then we need to listen, listen to women's experiences without casting judgment. Because when we hear someone's experience, we will often judge what we should have done in our calmest, most peaceful state versus what she did in her frazzled, terrified state. Yeah. So being able to not assume, well, I would have handled that so much better, um, but really, truly just listen without questioning. Our body language is nodding. It's showing warmth. We're leaning in. We're making eye contact. And then we have to love and love looks like justice. Cornell West wow. said, uh, justice is love in public. Mm-hmm. And we, that can look like calling the police. And I think, especially in faith spaces, women like, no, forgive, forgive, forgive. And sometimes you're like, no, call 911. Like, this is bad. You know, yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is bad. Yeah. We can't have this. This person needs to be removed. We need them to take action. There needs to be a clear message that women are valued. But love is justice. Those are not two sides of, of, of the coin here. They are on the same side of the coin. They work together. They long for goodness and wholeness and reciprocity and beauty for all involved. And I think, so that's the interior work that needs to be done. Now, let's go back to your example of the woman caught in adultery because it's truly the perfect example. We think, okay, how do we prevent like this from happening? How do we prevent a predator from taking advantage of a woman? Well, because the thing is, before things hit the fan and we see it on CNN or we read about it in Christianity Today, like we did this week, we are going to see really small things that are stoppable by anybody. So what we see here, uh, the woman caught in adultery that Jesus um, employed was bystander intervention, which what I'm about to explain, bystander intervention, it is used in every branch of the military and most U.S. educational institutions. And it starts with this. First, you disrupt. You see Carl, he is making Rosie feel uncomfortable, whether it's in line at the movie theater or in line to get into the auditorium from the foyer at church. Like this, he's, he's towering over her. He's talking over her. He's leaning and he might've touched her shoulder. Just little, 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 little things. This could be a work y'all. Most of us are going to encounter this at work more than any place else. It's the number one reason women look for a new job is because abusive power in the workplace by men. So we see something that we're like, something's not right. So we just disrupt. Hey, Rosie, did you want to go? I needed some to grab something off the coffee machine or we're in the church for Hey, did you want to go grab a coffee at the coffee station? 
or we're in line at the movies. Did you want to go get some gummy bears? I think we should get some gummy bears, you know, like right. just disrupt, just disrupt. That's all. It's low stakes, y'all. Low stakes. We can do mm. this. Mm-hmm. We can do this. And then we go to this girl and we say, Hey, I don't know. Maybe I'm not, maybe I didn't see something, but that looked a little off to me. Are you, it, are you okay? And she could say, Oh no, 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 everything's fine. And that's fine. She could say, thank you. I felt really uncomfortable. Yeah. And then if it's something egregious, we can be like, Hey, I'll go with you. You don't have to go alone. If we need to go to, I'll lend my strength. If we need to go talk to somebody or, or talk to somebody, figure this out, uh, whoever's in charge of that person or somebody we can go to someone with authority, I'm going to go with you. You don't, this is not all on you to take care of this. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have the same emotional loss involved. We can walk with somebody. Right. And then we go to the person who abused his power. We're going to use yeah. men in this situation because that's 89% of these cases. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say, dog, I saw you. Mm-hmm. That wasn't cool. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you've been seen like that. She really didn't appreciate that. Oh, I was just messing around. No, it wasn't cool. And it doesn't stand. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how effective that is. That's simple, simple disrupt, go to her, go to him. Yeah. Disrupt, go to her, go to him. That little thing is proven to prevent uh, misconduct, harassment, even rape on college campuses and in every branch of the military. If it works working for them, I'm pretty sure it's going to work for us. And we see it here clearly in scripture. Yeah, exactly. And then you probably touched on this a little bit, but um, how can we get aware of the things we say to our fellow sisters? How can say that again? What do you, what do you, how can we get aware of the things that we say to our fellow sisters, like enabling, like, what is that? Like enabling, you know, cause well, I know we're usually one. enabling a predator. Enabling yeah. is usually something we're doing to men by not saying anything. Right. Yeah. Um, that's the number one way we enable is by letting things go when they shouldn't, we let things slide that are like, Oh, that wasn't that bad. We're trying to talk it out of us because we don't want to put ourselves in harm's way, which is why that bystander intervention is so effective is because you're merely distracting and disrupting. You're not, you know, putting yourself on front street trying to take down a major predator. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, so when we when we're enabling, it looks like letting uh, jokes slide when they shouldn't be sliding. It looks like letting things slide when we hear from the pulpit without speaking mm-hmm. up. It looks like letting things slide at work without going to HR. That's how it we that manifests in the everyday. That's how we enable poor behavior. It's without accountability. Yeah. And then how do we encourage our sisters is to know that girl, I got you. I'm with Mm. you. We're in this together. You are not my enemy. We are not fighting for this piece of power pie. We are sharing this collective agency and we're pursuing better together. How can we architect a world and space and whatever system we're in, whether it's uh, church or work or education or politics or wherever you may live your life, how can we ensure that everyone is safe, seen and dignified? Right. Oh, one thing. Okay. I will say that when I was reading your book, pray tell, when we got to the enabling, when I got to the Navy and oh my goodness, when enabling. I got to the enabling part, I felt very guilty. Like mm-hmm. I was like, oh my goodness, there have been several times in my life that I've done this, mm-hmm. that I have enabled mm-hmm. and made excuses. Or like, even when I had heard something like on the news or saw something like my first reaction was that of like everybody else, like, oh, well, what what really was happening? Like, is she just mm-hmm. making it up? And I'm like, I did that. Like, that was me. And so when totally. you're talking and you were saying like, how can we give a woman a voice? And you said, lending your strength mm-hmm. to me, that stuck with me because I'm like, okay, that's how I can step up and I can yeah. lend my strength and help them by just doing any of those three things that you just mm-hmm. previously said. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I resonated with that a lot. 
there was, um, I remember I was, I blew the whistle in the situation I was in when I witnessed misconduct and abuse of power at a woman's expense. And mm-hmm. I ended up losing a lot professionally, relationally, spiritually, um, socially. And I finally got the guts to speak up when another older woman said to me, I said, girl, I can't do this. I cannot go alone. She's like, you don't have to, I'll lend my strength. Mm. And it just gave me that backbone and resolve. It's like my spine turned to steel. And I was like, oh, we can do this because we're going together. Right. Oh, that's so good. I love that. I love how that woman like did that for you. It's, it was, was kind of like, changer. Yeah, yeah, it was a redemption for you for the mm. lack from the other woman. Right. And, yeah, absolutely. And we talk about like imbalance of power. So it's almost like to me, whenever we're lending our strength to other people, it's balancing out that power so that we can. Amen. Overcome. Oh, such a Ooh, word. Yes, that I'm is gonna good. add that in my notes. I like that. <laughs> I'm gonna add that into my notes. I like yeah. that. <laughs> and then also, Tiffany, how can we get our fellow men to get aware? Yeah, I think that we're so easy to put a man on a pedestal if they do one great thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for advocates, we're looking for accomplices in the restoration of another. And so when we're inviting men to be part of the story because this problem didn't exist by women alone clearly right this is clearly not a woman's problem this is a together problem this is a partnership problem Mm -hmm. and so it it, there's a lot of ways that men can play their role it's first not allowing other men to get away with those jokes and those things Mm -hmm. locker room talk um disrespecting and disregarding women or poor theology that paints women as um you know, just an object of lust or the reason for men's downfall that they can point that out. And it's not all the, the women pointing it at us being like, Hey, that's not going to fly. That's not appropriate. That's not respectful. That's not honoring. That's right. not Jesus. Um, so that's one way we can, for our younger audience, for those of us who are mamas of boys, it's having those conversations young. Hey, if you were in a locker room and somebody yeah. said this about a girl, what are you going to say? Let's practice that out. Let's, Ooh. let's role play that out. That's How good. can we ensure, because you're not the boss of her body, her time, her attention, her eye contact. Mm-hmm. And then for adult men, especially in the workplace or in the faith space, we can say, okay, here's your resources. Here's your access to opportunities. How can you leverage those to ensure that women can have empowered spaces and places? Because you have nothing to lose when you empower women. Right. One of my um, least favorite sayings is men will be men or boys will be boys. And just, I mean, you're just saying like, that's it's okay because that's what they're supposed to be. So I feel like also like denouncing that and being like, that's not what being a man is or being a boy is. So for me, I think that's something that even with parent parental figures or anybody could start Mm -hmm. instilling in our men or boys so that they can understand, no, that truly is not what being a man is. Mm, Yeah, that's good. You look at the prophet Nathan, he was the one to approach King David and he was a male ally. We don't see him in Bathsheba in the same scene. So we often don't see him as an ally and advocate, but he very much was because word clearly got around the streets, what David be doing with Bathsheba so much so that Nathan rolls up and being like, brother, man, you have done wrong and you need to repent. He calls him out. Men calling other men out goes a long way. Right. That's good. That's so good. And then also I wanted to touch on this too. How can we, as the church, get aware and make a change? Yeah, I would say as the church, again, that collective lament and really the church is lacking transparency and accountability because abusive power at a woman's expense is predictable. Mm -hmm. It's predictable. We put people in power and then they shed the virtues of goodness and grace and humility that got them to that place in the first place. And then we see 
narcissistic tendencies that we deem mm. leadership qualities. And you're like, <laughs> wait a second, something's not adding up here. And yeah. so being able to have accountability from the beginning and say, this is what's expected here. This is what you can see here. And if, if this isn't your experience here, something's wrong and we need to fix it. So transparency, demanding transparency from the top down, from the bottom up, from the middle out. And then of course that accountability, because as men, research shows as men have more power, no matter what field they're in, they believe themselves to be more sexually attractive and will pursue uh, advances and engagements with women, whether those women want it or not. Yeah. That's so good. Um, and then Tiffany, I also just want to, I want to do like a special, well, I would love for you to, um, just give a special encouragement and message to the women who have not yet seen their justice, you know, be made or be had and like, or their redemption in their story. Because even as somebody who like, yes, I've grown a lot from what happened, but there's so much more that could have been done. And I know that feeling of feeling like justice could have been made or something could have been done. This could have all gone differently and it it was just completely unfair. And I know people are, women are still living in that. Like, God, like when, like when, if not now, when then, like, Mm -hmm. why aren't you doing anything? You know, that frustration, that battle within themselves. So if you could just give, I would just love to hear your encouragement towards women. I just first want to say, um, if that's you, you're in the majority. That is my experience. That is the experience of the majority of women I know who've experienced abuse of power at their expense. And Jesus will not let it stand, whether mm-hmm. it's the side of heaven or the other. You are beloved and your healing is not dependent on justice, although you deserve it, girl. Yep. Mm-hmm. You deserve it. Mm-hmm. You deserve every good thing. And he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Mm. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that spoke to me. <laughs> Bad way to end I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> Tiffany, I would love for you to just empower women into a prayer if you feel comfortable doing so. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just to yes. empower, yeah, and to empower all humanity, stand up, not be silent any longer, and speak up. Let's all support each other. We can all be team. We, it's not one against the other, but yeah. we can all be a team and support one another. So I would love to bring yeah. you to lead us in that prayer. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Rahab and Bathsheba and Hagar, God of Deborah and Mary Magdalene and Esther. We know that you see us. We know that you know us. Our stories are not foreign to you. You see us on our darkest day. Psalm 40 says you lift us up out of the pit. You put our feet on solid ground and you establish our steps. So we just ask right now that you would give us provision for the vision and that you would give us energy from the morning until the night and a voice, a loud sound, solid voice that can move the needle, move the arc of the universe toward justice, that can move heaven and earth. So it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we think of the voice of Moses who spoke up to Pharaoh. We think of the voice of Esther who spoke up to her husband. We think of a singular voice who had nothing going for them except you, Mm -hmm. except you. And history books are written because they lifted their voice. Mm -hmm. Well, we are living history in this day. So no matter if you're doing the laundry right now, if you're on your commute right now, if you're on the treadmill, I don't know where you are right now, (laughs) sister, but I know that you are loved and you are Mm -hmm. here on purpose and you have breath in your lungs and it is not over yet. 
It is not over yet. Keep going. He's with you. Raise your voice. Let him be the power and energy behind it and witness the victory because you stepped up. Lord, we ask you for the victory. You are so faithful and so near. We trust you. Lead us beside still waters in your name. Amen. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Amen. I needed that. Yes. Uh, I that. Thank you for that opportunity to, to pray. Yeah, of course, Tiffany. Honestly, I already love you so much. I am <laughs> like me and Krista continue to say, we are so honored. We can't believe she Tiffany Bloom. Yes. Yeah, said yes. <laughs> because, because like you were our first choice. Like when we are going, yeah, when we are, yes, when we are going through, you know, the format and the logistics of how we wanted this series to be like our first choice for this episode was Tiffany Bloom. Yeah. And I think, I think the first time that I heard you on a podcast, I think it was the podcast or something like that. I was like, yeah. yeah, And I was like, oh my goodness, just the way that you carried yourself Mm -hmm. and like your spirit. I was like, wow, that's, that's, something I aspire to be as well. Mm, and I yeah. feel like we're getting there by opening up conversations, yeah. having those That's right. talks. That's and right. You got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just carry yourself 100%. with such grace and strength yes. and authority. Uh, and we you. appreciate it. We appreciate mm-hmm. that we're- you came and talked with us. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, the honor's all mine. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we appreciate you, Tiffany. And, um, Anyone who wants to read Tiffany's book, it is Pray Tell, Why We Silence Women Who Tell the Truth and How Everyone Can Speak Up. It is an amazing, amazing book full of information and, you know, to educate you and to get you self-aware. And we encourage y'all to read it. I mean, look her up. Just listen. You'll be amazed. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome, Tiffany. Well, we appreciate you and thank you for coming on The Real Meaning of Humanity. Oh, thanks for having me. 